we got a lot to get into. I want to talk about, we're going to talk about some results. We're going to touch on all that, but I don't want to dive into that too deep. More or less, I want to talk about like the, the situation that I see happening with Yamaha, the coming forward of like BMW, the, the st- World Superbike and Moto America, like that's the interesting mm. stuff to me. Right, right. Um, but uh, anyway, let's hit them with the the opening music, and then we'll, we'll get into it. Welcome back, everybody. It's your favorite podcast host, Jason, a.k.a. Captain Novice, with my man, Bo Winter. What's going on today, Bo? Hey, man. How's it going? Uh, You ready to talk about some racing? Man, I want to talk about some racing, but I think I want to talk about the manufacturers more than I want to talk about the riders and how they're riding, really. I mean, I've got some real things i've been thinking about like it's been consuming my thoughts i had a lot of time when i was on my little camping vacation to sit in a hammock by the lake and (laughs) stare over the water and contemplate the future of some of these factories and what in the world they're doing but uh how about you you ready to jump into this yeah man i am it's been a been a couple weeks so i went on a little short vacation there myself so we uh kind of took some time away and now we're ready to get back at it Absolutely. Well, you know, and we're sorry about that, but, you know, we both uh, have families and we, you know, we have to do that sort of stuff. And there wasn't a whole lot happening a couple weeks ago. We had Barber, I think, for Moto America, and that was it. But then we also had Barber at Road America and World Superbike this weekend. So this is a perfect weekend, really, to come back, really, well, stuff all this I stuff. I mean, even there, I mean, World Superbike, there really wasn't much happening, right? Well, if you were Ducati, it was a great weekend. Yeah. If you were Yamaha and your rider was a said, word. <laughs> number one, your rider left to go to BMW. <laughs> number two, your rider said, my pace at Mazano is great. I can challenge for the win and then get maybe smoked was, by eight seconds. Maybe he was <laughs> Not talking as about great. next year at Mazano on the right. BMW. Yeah, maybe so. I don't know, but, you know, <clears throat> I, it, it's, it's funny. I, I do want to start, though. Let's start here at the Homegrown Series, Moto America. So here's what I think about Moto America. In in Barber, we saw Gagne doing Gagne things. Uh, Cam looks really good on that BMW, but as we were discussing before we came on, Barber's not a superbike track. And that BMW is a proper superbike. I mean, with some real, real giddy-up. And there's just nowhere for that to be shown. The Yamaha typically is just super nimble great handling uh motorcycle and at barber it accentuates that would you would you disagree with me with that um yeah yeah i mean i never never have ridden at barber um but i do know you know it's a really flowy track there's not a huge straight um there's not a yep. not really like it's you said, technical yeah yep. i mean especially compared to road america where there's nothing but straights you know it's just <laughs> um you know super long track at, at road america but you know barber like you're saying um definitely definitely a bike where yamaha is gonna shine a little bit yeah and it did and it and they did they shine you know they i think cam had a cam peterson had a uh problem in one of the races had to pull off but 
Otherwise, Yamaha really kind of dominated there after really not dominating at Road Atlanta, which was kind of a surprise to see Gagne really struggling to get to the front um, there on some level. But, you know, then we go to Road America, and it is just... So, first of all, Road America repaved, which all the riders were describing as pool table smooth. That's really impressive to me because, number one, that track is 300 miles long. And number two, uh, I, I think in terms of paving, you know, that's one of the things about the American tracks that are kind of lacking in comparison to some of the European venues. Um, yeah, but That, that, that also know, we, brings up, you know, a, a really good question about that. You know, we were talking a little bit uh, yesterday when you and I were just chatting about the uh, the polymer infused pavement yep. uh, that was yep. put down there at Road America supposed to last yep. 30 New years. technology, 30 um, years. Yep. Yeah, but, you know, and, and you look at tracks like Road America, you know, Road America's been around for how long now? You know, a very, very long time. Right? Long it's, time. A, it's a historical track. And, um, you know, IndyCar runs there, obviously. Um, IMSA goes there. Moto America goes there. Um, and then all the club racing and stuff that happens there as well. Um, but then on top of that, you know, the, the, the argument that I start to think of is it's still not a world-class track. But, you know, Chavi Forez made a comment that said, hey, we're just a little bit, we are garages and yeah, runoff. Yeah, garages away. Garages and runoff away from, uh, yeah. you know, from this being a world-class track. And, and now, to me, that makes me look to Texas a little bit more to ask, well, why can't we you know what can similar technology uh not be used at um uh at circuit of the americas and if it is you know why have we still or are we still not figured out the soil underneath the track if that's still the problem uh, I, you know yeah. so yep that's a great question Bo. and I, I but i don't think it has anything to do with the soil because i think as a human race i think we have figured out how to engineer whatever we want if we really want to do it yeah right and i think it, it can be solved it just it's money yeah, and it, it, circuit I, of the yeah. americas is not lacking for money in terms of venue use they are used now for nascar f1 mm-hmm. concerts soccer stadium that that venue is getting used i would guess 70% 75% of the days of the year that's what i would guess for something um and I'm talking between concerts, the yeah. soccer field, the the track. Now, I, in terms of weekends on the track, I bet you that the Circuit of the Americas is probably used 90% of the weekends, you know, in one form or another. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that's the thing you, you, you just don't know. Um, but they, <laughs> I mean, if you looked at F1, Oh my goodness! the The amount of revenue they generate from F one should oh, yeah. be enough to motivate them to say, "Okay, this is a yeah, this is a long term. Yeah, this is a big deal. Make. Yeah, let's let's invest." And I'm sure that now I I did and there's some room research around on, that track too, right? I mean, there's oh, yeah, there's absolutely. room to kind of spread out if they wanted to increase the footprint, if they wanted to put lodging yep. somewhere close. You know, it's Texas, they got it's plenty there. of room. Yeah, it's yeah, it's absolutely. there's room to do it. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. So you look at that track and you think, okay, well, how much would it cost to repave that in the way that they did Road America? And I'm sure it would be in the order of tens of millions of dollars because of the work underneath mm-hmm. this pavement surface that would have to be done. But if you had to spend $40 million, which is no small amount of money, to 
guarantee a billion dollars in return? I, I don't. I don't understand. So, you know, I think there's a board of directors there. They all want to make money for themselves too, right? They want money yeah. to go in their pocket. That's the part of it. So, I believe that you what you have running Coda is probably business people, and it's working. They're making money. They're doing it, but it's not race fans because a passionate race organization would say we want the best facility we can have so yeah and you have and to think so that's a really good point what you bring up there and, and it's it's almost underlying because you say they're not race fans because we see what people that want to race what do they do they blindly throw money at bikes oh my at gosh. cars at, at at travel just expenses. saw it yesterday um so yeah. they can uh you ju- just in the name of going racing um, so if you have an organization that has money, that that has a lot of this investment power um, and has the, the facilities already established and they're not just, you know, dumping this into the, the track at some point, you know, obviously they're like you're saying, you know, they're smart business decisions that need to be made. Sure. But at the same time, sometimes you have to throw caution to the wind, um, you know, and take a chance, take a gamble. That's what investments are. Um, and in the racing world, um, it, it, there's a there's a resurgence uh, in certain forms of racing. I mean, like you're saying, F1. Um, now F1 has three venues in the United States. Um, yeah, that's it, it's incredible. It, you know, it and, is and incredible. I'm sorry, but the uh, the French GP uh, from MotoGP was the largest GP ever. Um, so mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's saying something. You know, so there is a there's a an interest that's coming back around. Um, you know, to, uh, to racing. And <clears throat> we see a lot of, uh, you know, if, and, it, and it's going to take sponsorship dollars. It's going to take co- companies. It that, just takes money. Everything yeah, takes and, money. And, and that's what I think of it as I think that companies are not being run by race fans and not just, not just the companies, um, as far as, you know, the race venues themselves, but, you know, sponsor companies, they don't, they don't see the, the racing. They don't, they don't really care too much for the racing because we were starting to get conditioned that we're supposed to make smart, smart business decisions. And you know, as well as I do uh, growing up and, and seeing some of the, especially the NASCAR world, well, these guys don't care. Uh, you know, I mean, the, Roger yeah. Penske doesn't, he's going to, he's going to go find whatever he can do to buy a race, uh, to, to fund a racing program, to fund a driver, to do whatever. Cause he wants to win. And we have to find that, that, unbridled yeah. will to win i think back I again wonder, in, in motorsports and tie that to the economical side yeah i wonder if we could crowdfund something like that like a track <laughs> it was crowdfunded um or yeah. something like that but i mean it would be it'd be exceptionally hard because again in the u.s well the end uh, of that so if you crowdfunded it the the end problem you would have is if you got it say okay we've put all this together Everyone's gotten together and built this track or, you know, bought a track and refurbished this track. Um, and then all of a sudden, everyone wants to go ride it for free because they own the track. <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, no, so that's that, a problem. Right, yeah. I mean, that's that's the attitude, I feel like, that we that, that as Americans would have to, to really do that. Whereas, you know, I don't know. That's just, yeah, I'm, well, I'm I, wired I think to find what's wrong. It's going right? to take a banding together of race mm-hmm. fans uh, in yeah. some way. Uh, and, and, you know, so we have we have lots of billionaires in this country and maybe, but I don't know any of them that are quote-unquote race fans. You know what I mean? Like right. I see them show up at F1, but I don't know if they follow F1. It yeah. might just be the cool thing for a billionaire to be at. Mm-hmm. But the comments by Chad before us were very telling in that, you know, the facility itself 
is very close to being world class. He uh, garages. I I just don't know how much it could possibly cost to build. If you look at all the garages that are in Europe, some of them are extremely nice with you mm-hmm. know viewing <clears throat> stuff above them and and all these things. But I really feel, you know, if if you built something like that, the return on it would be nominal for five years. But if you kept it up, the next five years. It would be paid for, and then it would be revenue from bigger race series, from bigger attendance, from you know, you know all that right, stuff. Right. Now, not maybe not Moto America specifically, but like IMSA, uh, IndyCar, uh, you know, those NASCAR, those organizations bring tons and tons of money. Yeah. yeah. So you know, if you take Moto America out of it, then those other race organizations probably could really. With those added facilities, I think Road Atlanta is a track like that. Road Atlanta is very similar in that regard. You know, not they're not as close as Road America to world class, but they could be pretty much on that level if they would just spend five dollars on facilities. But that's another story for another day. Let's talk about the racing that we saw. We just talked about a little bit about it at Barber, where we saw that the Yamahas dominate a track that's super technical and tight and not really a super bike track but it had at road america they had no shot now they didn't have the benefit of data because they didn't have any for this new surface really but like you said all there are straights at road america and that bmw of cambobia (laughs) that thing looks like it's shot out of a cannon every time he pulls the trigger the only bike close to it is the Ducati. What do you do if you're Yamaha? What do you do? I, I think you. Tr- I think you have to tread water. Um, you, you know, honestly, we've. I don't want to say we see similar and and uh, we see the opposite more or less in World Superbike, right? I mean, the Ducatis just dominate. Then over here, you know, it's not not the same story. But in Road America, uh, those are long long straights um you know that are just uh, unbelievably long and a four mile a four mile lap around it um that's such a crazy lap time lap length yeah it's so long so you know you know with that being said um i think you have to tread water if you're yamaha um, you know the ridge is coming up um I, not just looking at you know not without looking at the uh the calendar in front of me there's a few more tracks that are going to be coming up that we have to look uh, think about too uh, is the bmw going to be as strong there um you mentioned before there's not a lot of data to really go off of especially cambobia data um we know that there's certainly a component to that um you right. know, it, and it even it goes back to the bike as well um we were chatting just a little bit yesterday you know pj jacobson and cambobia they selected different gearing um Yep. gear ratios for the uh for their bikes this year and uh, you know i made the comment i think that that's cambobia coming back over from the triumph you know being used to the the triple and in moto two and kind of pre- preferring a certain feel uh but i also think that what we're seeing is that cambobia absolutely became a better rider when he was in europe um, even more he so did. than what he did when he was you know than what he was when he was here prior um, so I think that that component is something that the Titler's cycle team is really benefiting from right now. And I, I'm, I'm glad because I feel like the Titler's cycle team 
is kind of what we're talking about. You know what I mean? They are that team that wants to, they want to win. They've got an amazing rider. They've got a really fast bike. They've got a good rider in PJ Jacobson too, um, you know, right. got on the podium this, yeah. this weekend. Um, so I think that they really kind of have to strike while the iron's hot here and, and come out swinging. Uh, as far as Yamaha goes, we know Cam Peterson's a great rider. I don't think Cam Peterson's showing what we expected out of Cam Peterson this year so far, so, and, or even Jake Gagne. So is it a a lack of um, – what we're talking about is a, a step forward from other teams and a lack of progression for Yamaha, uh, well, which is worldwide at this point. <clears throat> Well, we did talk about that early yesterday and today is early before we got on as well. But Yamaha looks like they're on the verge of just falling into irrelevance everywhere. But <clears throat> there's no denying the R1 can still really handle a twisty track beautifully. Um, it it feels like on the BMW side to me in Moto America that what they got was an exceptional rider in terms of talent compared to the rest of the field mm -hmm. on top of an absolute missile in the M1000RR Alpha. So I'm sure that those are the top-level Alpha racing uh, spec bikes, which if you look at those build sheets, they are nuts. But in in terms of the rider, I think what we see is that in terms of the riders available for professional teams to sign in the Americas and in the United States, mm. Cambobier is still the best. I mean, yeah, I don't, I, I, think I don't think so. there's any denying. I don't see how you could deny it because, given uh, a track where he can use the strengths of his bike, he 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 puts the defending national champion five, six, seven seconds behind him without issue. Um. And this is, goes back to what we talked about when Jake Gagne went to World Superbike. I would love to see Cam on the BMW in a World Superbike round. That's what I would like to see. Where, because Cam knows most of those tracks, right? Yeah, like he yeah. does. So, all right. So let's figure it out. No, I completely agree with that. Um, 100%. You know, maybe possibly swap, you know, call the BM, the, the Bonovo team and, and swap Garrett Gerloff over. Um, to see yep. what he could do. Well, we'll get, yeah, we want, I want to talk about Gerloff because you and I had a lot of conversations about him in World Superbike. But my hope is that Cam, with his knowledge of the international tracks, gets a shot from BMW to go over because I'm very curious as to how close his bike is to what the Superbike guys are running mm -hmm. because they are not performing at anywhere close to the level that he is here. Now, let's be honest, the field is much better over there. But... I would be very curious to see what Cam could do and see if he could put it in the top 10, you know, or even top five on that BMW over there. I, I would say the chances are slim, but if they let him take his bike that he rides right now over there, like they did Gagne last year, mm. it's interesting because right now we know that you can, in Moto America, the rules have finally called up to World Superbike. You can choose which transmission you want to run. And I'm curious to know what Cam is running versus what Garrett and Loris and Scott and right. Tom are running <clears throat> over there. I'm wondering if it's the same bike because if it is, you know, it just shows the class of Cam Bobier on a bike that's not really fully developed yet. I mean, I don't. Would you? Where would you put that in a percentage? 50, so I think 60? there's an, well, I think there's another component. If we want to throw it into World Superbike spec, no, <clears throat> you know, to answer the question directly, 
I would say you're probably looking 60 to 80, somewhere in that window of where they're at. I think that they, right. it could be one of those things that they're still waiting for a fairly large jump. Because, um, you know, it's weird. Progression happens odd, right? Sometimes you, you have a eureka moment where other times all you're doing is kind of, you know, incrementally finding small things to adjust. And maybe they've got one more, one or two more big milestone events that they're going to figure out to say, okay, here's here's something here. Um, and then the rest is going to be fine tuning. Um, but, uh, you know, with that, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pressure on the world superbike um, teams and the garages, uh, the R and D departments at BMW to help with that, I think. Um, because those guys need to be giving the data back to Germany as well. And then getting that, uh, you know, processed and to say what the problems are. The next component right. that we have to talk about is there's a tire difference too, obviously between Moto America and world Superbike. So, yep. you know, how does, how would Cambobier's bike right now, as it sits in the garage, handle a Pirelli tire? And then also the, the, the opposite question to that is how would Garrett Gerloff's bike as it sits right now, handle a Dunlop tire? If that, that's very you know interesting. Yep, maybe maybe the BMW handles the Dunlop a lot better than it does the Pirelli. Uh, but uh, for whatever reason, to, listening to conversations, um, you know, here and there <clears throat> throughout Moto America broadcasts, um, it, it's kind of hard to get full stories sometimes from these broadcasters because um, there's so much that uh, that's discussed all throughout the day. And they barely touch on things sometimes during the during the actual races uh, when they culminate, you know, because um, Motor America events are it's more or less a, an ongoing conversation all day long uh, between commentators if you've ever been to one. So um, during the races, when you're watching a broadcast, they might mention something about a new spec tire. Well, you're kind of left in the dark about what that new spec tire is. But listening to those fragmented conversations, the Dunlop sounds to me as if they are engineering tires closer and closer to um Pirelli uh characteristics I would I guess I would say um I know that there's there are new there are new um uh super sport compounds I think that were used this weekend I'm not sure if That's there were correct. new yep. uh, I'm not sure if there were new super bike compounds that were used but I feel I know that the uh uh what is it the, the, do they even make a Q5 now uh for track days um, yeah, which yeah. the Q4 in itself was a step away from traditional uh, Dunlop in that it was a softer carcass. It, Dunlop is is traditionally right. a, a harder carcass tire, um, whereas you know the Q4 was a step towards a softer a softer um, uh, carcass, and uh, we know Pirelli has pretty soft carcasses on their tires. Um, yep. So yep. you know that that to me as well as Michelin too. I've heard that, that a lot about the Michelin um, Michelin tires that they're pretty soft. They've got pretty soft uh, frames to them. So you know, to me, if if Dunlop is engineering a tire closer towards a Pirelli spec or a poor, not not a Pirelli spec but a Pirelli characteristic, then maybe those differences can be brought down a little bit more, and then we yeah. can see a more seamless transition from american riders to go to europe i maybe so and that's pure I speculation notice, right I yeah mean, that, no, right right but i did notice that they have referred to many times this year on the broadcast that the the r5s the r7s uh -huh, that's yep. the compound designations from dunlop so I, i'm sure that stands for race but i i i'm i don't know we'll we'll just have to see i think i think it's all very interesting um but i am glad to see that moto america is moving 
to an actual World Superbike spec bike in order to prepare people to go to World Superbike. (laughs) Because in the beginning, I was always like, how are you preparing them if... You can't even, you know what I mean? You, you you can't compare the bikes. If the bikes are incomparable, the tires are incomparable, how do we get there? Yeah, well, and, and then honestly, maybe this is a step in the right direction. I, I really honestly think that, I, I guess it depends on what the goal is at the end of the day, right? So yeah, does absolutely. Moto America want to prepare riders to go to Europe for the... Uh, you know, for MotoGP or Moto, uh, you know, MotoGP or World Superbike or World Supersport, uh, which, how do we want to, uh, what do we want to cater to? What direction? Because at that point, my argument would be, well, if we want to model it as, you know, a MotoGP class, then why don't we have our support classes run Dunlops and then we allow the, the, uh, the Superbike class to either, you know, go to a Michelin or kind of make it a hybrid and put them on a Pirelli. So the Superbike class, they could step over to a Pirelli and World Superbike if they wanted to. Um, and then, or, or if we're trying to get ready for a Michelin tire, I think that the, I think putting them on a Michelin tire, it's not going to be anywhere near comparable though um, no. with MotoGP no. simply because the bike frames are so much stiffer in MotoGP and the tire yep. compounds and tire profiles yep. are going to be so much different. Yep. So to me, I would put, I would leave our Supersport and a junior class on uh, Dunlops, and then stick the uh, let the uh, Superbike class, like more or less, let them choose. Let them choose if they want to run a Dunlop or a Pirelli. I, I don't have a problem with that. Kind of leaving it open to mm-hmm. what you want to do, but I I also think that there is no comparison between a production based bike and a MotoGP bike, right? Like, well, just not. yeah, you, yeah. I'm, but I this brings up another point. You know, we were talking about you know Cam coming back into. Um, Superbike and Gagne just not being able to have his way every single race mm-hmm. as he has for the last couple of years, um, pretty much when he was able to finish. Do you think we're at a time now when the rider of the bike and their talent level matters less than the actual bike itself? I think it depends on what championship you're talking about. Well, let's start let's let's start with Moto America and then we'll get over to World Superbike where we're going next. But here in Moto America in the Superbike class, is the talent of the rider or the bike itself more important? So at this level, um and and I don't wanna this is it's going to be a backhanded comment. I don't want it to be. I don't want it to disparage any rider on the grid because well, I mean it's it, it, at this level um we know that Moto America riders are uh <clears throat> at Moto America the rider talent I feel like matters a little bit more. It is more influential. Um simply because we don't have as much R&D money in the bikes, in the teams. The teams don't okay. have unlimited funds that they could dump into to develop a bike. So okay. the, the the level of uh, the deltas are higher between riders, in my opinion, because of uh, talent levels. Sure, um, sure. You know, saying okay. that you guys aren't, aren't talented. However, I think that, you know, we see more influence and more factors that influence bike performance in Moto America um, than we do 
in, uh, in other tracks or in other parts of the world because you know i mean pj jacobson nothing not to take anything away from pj jacobson pj jacobson have got two podiums at roto america you know is pj is that going to be something that we continuously see from pj jacobson for the rest of this year i, no. I don't think so it, you know what i mean and 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 pj jacobson had an a a, a his uh race two his fastest lap or was a second faster than jake gagne's yeah, a full second faster than Jake Gagne's. You know, and and we're talking about incredible. Jake Gagne. You know, yep, incredible superbike yeah. champion. So, um, on a factory bike. Uh, so I think that, you know, and that kind of that almost sounds contradictory to my my answer, but I do think that um, at at the Moto America level, the rider has a bigger influencing factor on the result of the race. Um, but across the uh, Across the rest of the world and different championships, I feel uh, like factory factory R and D is yeah. I'll, more I'll give you that. I'll give you that, especially at a place like the next two places that they're going to go: the Ridge and Laguna Seca. Those bikes are not going to be able to use what they're strongest at: the BMW. I'm right. talking about and the Ducati. That I think Gagne will win, or uh, at least be very close to winning. All four of those superbike races. So, so I, I'm actually looking. Uh, honestly, I would look for, for Josh Heron, um, <clears throat> Josh Heron and Jake Gagne to, to really have a big fight at Laguna yep. Seca. Personally, um, yep. Josh Heron's yep. probably spent how many thousands of laps he's spun around. Oh, uh, he's probably Jake got Gagne, a million. You know? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And so I think those guys are really going to duke it yeah. out. But the and the the wrench in that could be Cameron Bobier um, because well, he has plenty of experience at Laguna. Yep, but. But the ridge is new to him, I think. So I think he will struggle a little bit there. But again, I think to your point about the talent, getting a podium there for me, Cambobie, would not surprise me at all. Right. Uh, right. So, um, but let's, you know, we talked a lot about Superbike. I think we, we have to mention what Xavi Flores is doing in Supersport. There's just no one in Supersport that can beat this guy right now. No. No, I completely agree. Um, and it's it goes, incredible. Well, it goes back to the question that we've talked about before: was uh, if Rocco Landers had a full-time Supersport seat, do you think Rocco Landers could be that guy that could be taking it to Chavi Forest right now? If he was on a warhorse Ducati, maybe, maybe. But I don't think he could do it on the R6. If Josh Hayes can't do it on the R6, Rocco Landers is not going to do it on the R6. And if Stefano Mesa can't do it on that rocket of a six three six that he has, then no. I, mm. I, I don't I don't know. I I don't know that we've ever had a rider that's more accomplished internationally than Chavi Flores. Um, you could argue Loris Baz and you could argue Danilo Petrucci, but they weren't in the supersport class. Right. So for me, you know, it is what it is. I, I, I think Chavi is on the best bike on the grid. I think Warhorse is serious about winning. They're not interested in going and getting an also ran. They want to win. They they won the title last year in Supersport. They want to win it again this year. They wanted to they want to win the super bike championship. You can see it. So a lot of respect to Warhorse for taking it seriously and doing what it takes to win championships. Mm-hmm. But they, they picked a winner here, and so this guy's for the first rider to ever come into Moto America and win his first, uh, what is it, five, six races now? 
wait, he won his first five. Yeah, he won. Yeah, he's won his first five races because two at Motor Road Atlanta, one that extended race at Barber, and then two at uh, Road America. Which let's talk about that for a minute. Why do the extended race in Super Sport for double points? What was I? I don't. They they said they want to kind of harken back to the endurance racing and all that stuff. But do you think that's necessary? I don't like. I, I didn't. I, don't. I, I didn't I, like I, that at all. I so, I think it was an interesting twist, but also why? Why do? Yeah. Yeah. No. I, I give don't, me your thoughts. Um, well, I, I mean, and we're going to do I it again, comment, evidently. Well, I can't comment directly on that particular decision to rate, but I think what it comes down to is a question again back of the. Uh, to the operational uh, approach and operational mindset that is management at Moto America, uh, it doesn't make sense to me. There, I don't. I feel like there's no rhyme or reason. I feel like, it, you know, there are multiple championships across the world that you can use as a as a model. Pick one though. Um, you know, don't try to take from from here and take from there. You know, we dump so much time and so much effort, and so much money into developing a hooligan series, a bagger series, or whatever else series that's going <sighs> on. Um, I mean, why can we not? And and the problem is, is you know, Barber wasn't just a the, the question about Barber wasn't s- simply about a oh an extended endurance race for a super super sport classes. You know, there were operational issues there again from Moto America about red flags, weather, with rain coming down. Um, you know, it, it's. I mean, you have to get you have to get the basics right before you can start with all this flashy garbage. Yeah, um, my my thing is, why don't we have an, an endurance series that's tied to the weekend instead of baggers and hooligans? Yeah. Why yeah, don't we do so, that? So that's uh, and that I think that that would be fine. I mean, you know, if we wanted to uh, and, and, and allow teams field. to uh, allow teams to build an endurance spec bike or something like that. You know what I mean? And maybe yeah. have an endurance race on on Friday uh, on on Friday um, Friday afternoon or something or or a Saturday or something like that. I mean, yeah. like, Let's have one endurance race for the weekend. Um, and I know that you know endurance racing it. It, obviously it takes time you know that's what it's all about that's what it's for a four-hour endurance race but i think at a championship level there would need to be an independent series in america of an endurance series uh similar to you know like the world uh, like a WEC series for motorcycles yeah um yeah. you know because uh, you're looking at some you know even even in imsa talking about endurance car racing you know like team sprint races are two hours and 40 minutes um, you know, they don't start calling them an endurance race until I think at what, four hours or even eight hours. Um, so, you know, with motorcycles, I know it's a little bit differently. There's a lot more effort involved and, and wrestling the bike around. Um, pit stops are trickier. That's more, you know, but, um, I, I just, I question Moto America's direction wow. because I feel like they just throw stuff at the wall. They throw ideas at the wall sticks. and see what sticks. Yeah. And, and, well, I just I just found that was pretty interesting and I, I, I was interesting decision. I, I I thought it was interesting on some levels, but on the other levels, I was like, why aren't we? Those are premier kind of classes after the superbike. Like mm-hmm. first it's superbike, then it's super sport, then it's the rest of the stuff. But <clears throat> we we just did that, and it just felt weird and out of place to me. Now, do you think <clears throat> in the uh, in the super sport class? 
after watching this year so far, are you a little disappointed in Tyler Scott? Because I am. Yep. Yep. No, I think Tyler Scott definitely um, almost has taken a step backwards this year. Um, 100% on a bike he was on last year. Yeah. And so it, It's very to, disappointing to me. I, I'm, I'm pretty shocked at that, to be honest with you. I thought Tyler Scott was going to be that guy that's taken it to the championship so we could hurry up and ship him out. Um, so I'm curious what's going on there. Uh, I, I don't know that that one's a that one's a mystery to me. <clears throat> yeah, I'm I'm disappointed in it. You know, I I just think for all of us that are uh, big hopeful fans that yeah. won an American overseas, I Tyler Scott was the guy for me. But here's the thing: he's still super young. Mm-hmm. He still has a shot, but I think maybe there's a couple things happening here. Maybe we've seen the best, which is possible. People peak early. I don't want to say that's what it is, but maybe it's a possibility. Maybe the success of last year actually hurt him, and he thought he had made it. Does that make sense? He thought, yeah, a little I'm, bit. I'm I mean, here now. I'm going to be the best because it's the next year, which is possible. Young guys, it's hard to you know, get a lot of them focused. It may come back, but I, I just think it was real disappointing to see him constantly struggling. He's nowhere near the leaders. I mean, all, all we see are, you know, Mesa and Forez mm-hmm. and, and Hayes battling it out. And I, and I know that Hayes is a, a, a really, really tremendous rider still at his age, but, the thing for me is that, you know, come on. I mean, Tyler Scott it, it, was forever behind those guys. So, you know? so I want to look at it from the other side of the coin, too, though. You know, it's ty- is we weren't the only ones that saw Tyler Scott's success last year. Um, you know, obviously, I would say, like, the riding recruiter world or whatever, you know, I, I'm sure that Tyler Scott started to feel pressure that he was a next possible hope for america and europe right so what kind of pressure does that put on a young kid to to think about that to say wow i'm supposed to do this like they want me to go to europe you know what if he's kind of like cambobia he doesn't want to travel he doesn't like that possibility so he doesn't you know if there's anxiety if there's pressure if there's anything like that that's starting to build on him um, you know, it could, it could definitely affect you. And then, oh, for sure. You know, cause so but you if, have to be able to handle that. That's part no, of 100%. it. hundred like, percent. Yeah. That's what yeah, I'm saying is so. if you don't want that, then, yeah. you know, then here, this is what we get. Right. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it's just disappointing. I, I still have high hopes for Tyler Scott. Um, but I, I, I'm really surprised that the Jixer 750 is not a better bike in that series. Honestly, did they, did they have to add weight to it? Or limit Maybe. Uh, revs? Yeah, I, I, I know that they had to do all sorts of things to make it part of the next generation, right? But it just feels like maybe... I don't know if they had to add weight. It might have been heavy already, but, you know, I don't know. I, I just feel like in terms of next generation, the 636 of Mesa is worlds better. Um, the 955 V2 is worlds better. But... You know, maybe that's what he's on. We'll see what happens with the rest of the year. Maybe he can turn it on and get it turned around. But uh, I'm hopeful because I had high hopes for that guy. Uh, did you see anything else over the weekend at Road America that uh, that you 
wanted to mention or talk about? Not particularly, no. Yeah. Well, let's move on to World Superbike then. I mean, World Superbike to me was... I'm trying to think of the word mildly interesting. <laughs> it was it was interesting from a couple of perspectives. You and I talked about how we feel like Yamaha is falling back across the world after two years ago being on top of the world in all the racing. They won MotoGP. They won World Superbike. They won Moto America. They, they won lots and lots of championships over lots and lots of classes. Fast forward to 2023, and they go to Misano after a test. Toprak says after the test, my pace was excellent. I can win at Misano, except there was a guy in a yellow set of leathers on a yellow bike that was like, can you though? <laughs> and what, <laughs> honestly, I really kind of giggled to myself after race one because I was just like, my goodness, man, what <laughs> in the world just happened? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean give I mean, me your take on that so i think for any team to beat ducati and world superbike if you don't win on saturday in race one you're not going to win on in race two yeah you can't make that big of a gap up. because you, no, well it's not even that I, what i think is that if ducati has a bike that's sorted on saturday then you're done because they'll make whatever small tweaks that they need to for the, the next day and they'll come out swinging and they'll be fine. Just, you know, they'll, they'll do exactly what they did on Saturday. Your best bet is you have to have a bike that is fast off the truck. You get it dialed in. You have a rider that's have a, having a great weekend and you come out and you punch Ducati in the mouth on a Saturday because you're probably not going to do it again on Sunday. But I, I, that's how I feel right now watching Ducati riders in world Superbike. Uh, I mean, the top four in race one on Ducatis, you know, um, is, you know, well, well no, no, yeah, no, three of the four, four, excuse me, three of the top yeah, four three bikes, of four, three of the yeah. top four bikes were on Ducatis. Um, well, three of the top, well, right, exactly. That's exactly right. And, and so, you know, it's like, I, I don't know. I think you're right. I, I just don't, I don't see how you do that even. So it, it you know, you got the red flag super pole race, Right, like, mm -hmm. and they were fighting it out. But in Top Rack was mad about the red flag. Uh, he said, "Oh, I was going to get him back into turn four, but I don't know if Top Rack was noticing, but he had already lost point two in that sector after you know yeah. uh, Bautista had passed him. You, so you're telling me you were going to make it up on that straight on the front, <laughs> and you were going to do that, and then you were going to pass him in the I, I get that he thought that he could do that and maybe he could have, but it didn't look like that to me as soon as, as soon as Bautista went by and that move. And I was told you yesterday, I saw that move. I was clenched up. I was like, yeah. And as soon as he made that move though, I was like, Oh, he's decided it's time to go mm -hmm. and he's going to go. And the crazy thing about Bautista is that he doesn't do it in like a second, a lap. He does it at, Point one here, point two there, point yeah. one, point three there. And before you know point, it, he's point, four yeah. seconds ahead. And before you know it, but because it's relentless, the mm -hmm. pace is yeah. relentless. It just will not drop. And I, I just feel like 
I honestly feel like Toprak was mad more because that was a chance. He was closer than he had been, and maybe he did have a slight chance to win the Super Bowl race. But he knows that when he goes to BMW, he knows that this close to the front is going to take Herculean effort. Yeah. And and he knows this is his shot to beat Bautista here, to take some solace. Well, I can beat him. You know, I can beat him. It can be done. Quite honestly, right now, Bautista just looks unbeatable. Like it just it's it's not even hard for him. It doesn't even look hard. I mean, that's what I get from it. It's like this is not even hard. Is that what you're feeling? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, in twenty it was it twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen when Bautista first came to uh, to BMW or excuse me, with Ducati was, with the uh, V four. That know, was nineteen. Um, he looked amazing the first few races, right? And then all of a sudden his yep. season just just crashed. And, and then he left and went to Honda. And and I think that there was that discussion between he and Ducati before uh, last year was that, hey, listen, we moved the fuel tank around. You know, we've changed where the weight is on the bike now. We've done this. We've done that. This is, you know, we've sorted everything that we needed to get sorted. You know, come back and let's do this. Let's let's have this. And and Batista made that leap and is on now on a a an amazing motorcycle that quite honestly that motorcycle that has no idea that he's even on the back of it because he's so small but he has the talent level from everything that he's done in GP from all the all the practice everything that he does um, and his years of experience that uh, like you said I mean right now he is unbeatable uh, and he's the only person that can take away his own championship at this point um I just it, don't it is, see any kind of progress from any other team um, nope. to move forward like this. And, and you know, we've got good riders that are showing up in the field. You know, like Dominic Egeter, this in, is going to be a world superbike powerhouse. Um, Iker Lekawona, Chaffee Vierge, these guys are riding well. Um, you know, Remy Gardner got a top 10 in race one. Uh, you know, and and Bassani uh, on another Ducati, you know, and Rinaldi showed a little bit of a little bit of class this this weekend, um, which I think I think Rinaldi really has to deliver this year. Um, but I just don't think that it, there's no there's no more championship race right now. It's just who's going to get second. Um, well, he's 86 points up, which means he could miss basically the majority of two weekends mm-hmm. and still be leading um, or, you know, a full weekend. He could not race a full weekend. Top rack wins every race. He's still 20 yeah. points behind. <laughs> Batista bought a vacation. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there is that, but I, 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 I'm looking, you know, looking forward. I mean, Bautista is just so good at managing the race He's your to your point. He's small. The bike is so fast in a straight line with him on it. The next round in in at Donington, uh, I, I don't see how that you're going to beat him there. I just don't. Uh, there's you know you have that kind of a, a long straight and then a chicane, then a straight with a big you know hairpin, right back to a straight with a curve to a straight. <laughs> it's like. Yeah. You know, he, he's so good at getting out of the corner and going. So it's going to be really tough. He's going to have to really make a hash of it to lose this year. The The thing is, is I think 
Toprak is probably riding better than he's ever ridden, and he's losing these feature-length races by over eight seconds. That is unbelievable for the world champion two years ago. Right. And he's gotten better, and it's still not good enough. And, it, and it's got to be crazy hard to swallow that. But maybe the, the big contract that he got from BMW will help that a little bit. Um, but in the end, I think the problem is probably not Top Rack. The problem is probably Yamaha. Right. And they can't compete performance-wise with the Ducati. And it's very possible that Honda and BMW surpass them as well. But you said something to me that you think this may all be very soon coming for Kawasaki as well. Because we don't see them doing any big updates now. This is the third year. They they redid a big update in 21. And since they've done the big update, they've kind of been lost. The bike hasn't been as dominant as it was uh, up to 2020. The fifth gen, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, the fifth gen was dominant. The sixth gen has not been dominant. What does Kawasaki have to do, in your opinion, Bo? I think Japanese manufacturers across the board um, need to make a decision on what they want to do with research and development. Um, uh, clearly, production motorcycles uh, are where business decisions are made, and you know that's how you fund, you help to fund your race programs. Oh, of course, um, of course. But at the same time, you are not going to get a better superbike. If you focus developing a 400cc motorcycle, um, that, that's how I feel about it. If you are that concerned about emissions and meeting Euro 5 emission standards um, and selling bikes in other countries where you know lower displacement motorcycles are, are more prevalent, uh, more preferred, and then you cater to the quote um, beginner bike market so much, you are you're taking away valuable uh, research and development into the bike that will that is your profile your premier bike like that's uh, I'm sorry when I walk into a a Kawasaki dealership uh, I don't want to see a Ninja 400 um, you know up on display I, I, I personally don't even want to see an H2 on display. What I want to see is that race motorcycle that I see on Sunday and I can turn around and walk into a dealership and go purchase on Monday morning. Um, that's what gets me going, right? I mean, that's what I see. That's what I look for um, because that's what's actually being raced around the world. So why are, you know, we're allowing uh, niche markets uh co- cult motorcycles to influence where the, re- the R&D allocation is going. So um, and I think that's showing true in the you know in the uh in racing. Uh you know the okay. results aren't there, but if you flip the script a little bit and you look at Ducati, you know, Ducati they had they developed a V4. Um they came out with a V4, I can't remember the first year. I think it was 2018 was the first year of the V4, right? Or 2019 when B- Bautista went. Um it, yes, you're correct because um, the, so the the twelve nine nine was the last before they went to the V. And, and we knew that you know that okay that's when they came out with the V4. Obviously the 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 twelve nine nine was a twin. Um, the twelve nine nine was also used in their uh, their multi strata stuff. Um, so to me, what it looks like is Ducati does the reverse. Ducati says we're going to build a race bike, and then we're going to take that technology 
and then filter it down into the rest of our motorcycles, which typically is what Japanese manufacturers had done in the past. I think right. you know that's so how the yeah. that's how the cross plane engine for the uh, the uh, R1 I think was born uh, was MotoGP technology uh, with the uh, inverted firing order, um, and then the 2009 cross plane R1 was a game changer. Um, right. So and, and still use the cross plane today. However, now w I feel like all that is kind of flattened out. There's no innovation um, from that side, but yet we see new mo motorcycles uh, in an R7 and uh, the XSR900. Um, you know what I mean? And all these smaller and the Kawasaki ZX4RR. I don't this, understand. You know what I mean? Like I, I well, see it's a, purely economics. Yeah, yeah. That's all it, it is. And it's because Asia, which is the largest motorcycle market on the planet, they buy smaller CC yes, motorcycles yeah. for fuel efficiency. Right. And Ducati knows that. But to your point, why then do I, – I don't have any problem with you producing a 400cc motorcycle, but why are we going to put an RR designation on a ZX4? You know, like, why is it a ZX4RR? Why, why can't it just be uh, a Ninja 400? That, you know, well, you or know, not so even the, a Ninja. You know what I mean? Like, So, I mean, I, I, get, I get, well, all that said, I get the ZX4RR um, because it's not a it was, Ninja 400. It's a, you know, it's an inline four. It revs to the moon. Uh, I mean, it is truly a baby goal it's a baby target at a super bike more or less but but and i and i think it would be cool as a niche but but if you're doing this for economics that makes no economical sense to me because that is a ten thousand dollar motorcycle in a 400 cc package and and i get it i and i really really do i i understand that there is another a niche market of people that would say oh you can go so much faster on a small bike i completely understand that i, I really do because those are track folks you know what i mean so then i want to back up and say then why on earth did we come out with a ninja 400 that was a parallel twin you know a cheap budget bike and then the next argument well those are for beginner bikes i'm tired of this beginner bike argument to be honest with you i'm tired of listening to it i'm just i'm sick of it um it, it just frustrates me to no end um but i honestly think that there's no major uh, input and no major emphasis at a corporate level on developing super bikes anymore you think it's as far it's as purely Japanese, economic, as, most likely. I, I, do, yeah. I think so. I honestly think that leadership in these companies are focused more on the almighty dollar and making sure that they do what's smart for the company and and racing and winning is sacri is being sacrificed for um, for economic gain for the company economic success. And it, and you know to be perfectly honest, it is really hard. You know, to say you shouldn't do that when you're right. in no, business no, to make I, money. I, right? I get it. I really do. Yeah, that's why it's a hard it's a hard argument to really broach a little bit just because of that. Because you know, right. in business, you you want a, a successful business. You want to maintain a successful storied business like Kawasaki, like Yamaha, like Honda. Um, but then at the same time, you know, you have a manufacturer like Ducati who just they they know what they want. They're driven by yeah. they're, they're driven by passion. They're not driven by the by the bottom line. Oh, 100% agree with you there. And, and that's that's where we all are, I think, on some some level of we love racing, but we also love motorcycles. We understand that you have to build motorcycles mm -hmm. to fund the racing and all that stuff. But I think 
you're right. It feels like the Japanese manufacturers are all just slowly backing out of being serious about racing. And they may not think they are, but from the outside looking in, it feels that way. Um, I know that Jonathan Ray and Alex Lowe's are working super hard to try and make mm-hmm. that bike better. I know that their teams are working hard to make their bikes better. But they are not even in the same zip code as the Ducati. Right. They're not even close. And, you know, the guys that are trying to get there, the people like, you know, BMW, Yamaha, Kawasaki, Honda, you know, Honda's been trying to get this new RRRRRRRR. You know, they cannot seem to make it work. They, they were on top of the world in MotoGP with Mark Marquez for so long. It's very hard for me to understand how you took no technology advancements from that time, which means that you just had the best rider in the world, and you were like, yep, we win. It's not because of something we're doing, but we're not. nobody knows that. You know what I mean? And, and it, you had all those years where you had the best rider in the world that you could have developed so much and you didn't because of his talent because we know that the superbike and the MotoGP bike are not close to the same but technology filters down the things they discover in MotoGP filter down that's how it works but here we are struggling Kawasaki and it's hard for me to say Yamaha is struggling at World Superbike their guys in second but he's not close and he's not winning races. I think uh, there's only he, Bautista has won every race but one this year. That's crazy to think about. Now we'll say uh, where the Honda is being is is successful is in the Isle of Man this year. Uh, well, that's that, true. That Isle of Man, I think. So uh, they win death races. Got it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean that that R R is super fast. It is fast in a straight line. It, it has been since it came out because they desperately needed to update the horsepower on their superbike. And it is. It just has trouble in some other areas, which is not unlike Kawasaki. You know, they each do something well, but they don't do the whole thing well, which Ducati somehow has figured out. And the fact that Gigi Delina was in the paddock this weekend just shows me that he's not only interested in what he's doing in MotoGP, he's interested in how it has translated to the improvement of the superbike. Yep. Absolutely. I didn't see I don't when you know, I don't see when they go to Indonesia, when they when they go over close to, you know, the home countries in Japan for World Superbike, I don't see all the Japanese bosses over there. And that's to your point very telling, very telling. But, you know, it for Ducati, they don't care. They just keep winning. They, they're MotoGP world champion. They're world superbike mm-hmm. world champion. We'll see what they can do in Moto America, but they did win a race this past weekend. It was Heron's first win in a long time in the superbike class. And, uh, and, and I know, think good that's, for him. And I think that's why I said what I said, you know, about the fact that it's a rider's difference in moto america uh more so than the the manufacturer because you think danilo and loris baz would have cleaned up if it was just the bike 
I, I think so. Uh, I mean, we saw that, you know, when Danny Petrucci came over, uh, just how competitive he was, even though moving from, you know, to a Dunlop tire and getting used right. to the tire, getting used to uh, learning all these tracks for the first time, um, and still trying to diagnose uh, electronics issues with the bike and try to, to set up that bike and try to build that bike and develop, but um, still had a really good season, I think. Um, so, I mean... What do you think about Danilo over in World Superbike? Now, I have a couple of thoughts, but I want to hear what you think. I mean, I gave you my opinion. I think that uh, I would I would love to see Danilo Petrucci get a super bike, World Superbike win. Um, I, I think that there's so much that this guy has done that nobody else has done. Uh, and I think, he, I think Danilo Petrucci absolutely deserves to be in the FIM Hall of Fame um, just for his accomplishments, you know, MotoGP winner, Moto America winner. Uh, a Dakar stage winner. Uh, I told him, I think I said, if you got a world superbike win, how cool would that be? And then I said, just ship him off to the Isle of Man after that and see if he could get a win there. <laughs> I'll tell you what, that that would be something else. But, you know, this weekend he, he incurred a penalty uh, because on turn two at the beginning of the race, he got in there and someone tapped the back of him. I think Agater tapped the back of him. And then that went to... Agater going into Remy Gardner, and he caused a crash. They gave him a long lap. But then he took somebody out and didn't get a penalty. So the FIM, once again, showing that they have no idea what in the world they're doing. Um, I, no words, man. Right. I, I, don't, I don't even know what to say, because as soon as he, he took that guy out, I was like, well, you, gotta, you, you have to. You have to give him a penalty for that because that was obviously his fault, you know. And nope. But the other one where he was in the front and somebody tagged the back of him, even though he was in there deep, no penalty. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. So I, I think here's what I think. I think Barney Ducati before Danilo has been so irrelevant. So irrelevant. Um, they had people like Tito Rabat. Mm -hmm. They didn't even finish the year with Tito. He was so bad. Um, they've had really a, a litany of riders come through there, and they, they just don't give them any results. So the fact that consistently Barney Spark Ducati has been in the top 10, and... I, I think for them this has to be a successful season so far. What do you think? Uh, no, I think so. I think they're, the uh, fact that Daniel Petrucci is running with top contenders um, gives them a next-level amount of data that they can use to continue developing the team and develop on the bike. And I think it's going to help them also kind of curry a little bit of favor with uh, – uh, with the factory Ducati team, uh, you know, not to say that they were on, you know, bad terms or anything, but I think that, you know, maybe Ducati's like, okay, well maybe we could, we could really leverage you guys now as a developmental team to move guys up, you know, and, um, and that's just speculation again, uh, because they do have the, you know, the Axel Bassani's team. Um, and Bassani you know, at Moto Corsa is running, he's tremendous. He's yeah, not, he I really think is. He's, doing, he's fifth in standings and everyone ahead of him is on a factory bike. Yeah, and, and so that's what I was curious about because he doesn't have the same exhaust as everyone. I don't think on that bike. It's it, it was it's a bit different. different. Yeah, it's it's it not is the different. same. It's so. under seat. It's kind of angular, and yeah, 
So he's not running. I don't. I don't know what he's doing, but he's he's having a great year. He's ahead of Ruben Rinaldi on points for the year uh, by twenty seven points. So he's having a great year. I, I I'd be very surprised if a factory doesn't snatch Bassani up this year. Uh, but I guess we'll see. Um, I, I let's go to Supersport and let's touch on it for a minute because in Supersport I found it. Pretty interesting uh, that again Ducati is is winning, right? Uh, but more than that, I think we have a chance for a real fight between Manzi and Bulaga uh, because Stefano Manzi is just fast, yeah, and he. He has this wild style where his foot comes off the outside peg all the time, and I keep thinking he's falling, but he is so fast. And, you know, in race two, you know, race one, Bulaga won, and Manzi finished second with Caracasulo in third. So an all-Italian podium in Italy, which is great for the Italian fans. And then race two, Manzi won it over Bulaga with Schroeder finishing in third. Schroeder continuing his really good season, his first season in uh, Supersport. But uh, what do you think? you think Manzi can claw back and maybe challenge Bulaga for the title this year? I think Manzi has to get get out of the gate stronger. Um, you know, Manzi always seems to find himself around 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th around there and has to fight through the pack. Um, he and feels like a Sunday he, man, like a racer. Yeah, He's a um, racer, yeah. And which is you know which is fantastic, but it doesn't lend itself to good tire life. Once you're done fighting through the field, you know you've still got to have enough tire to fight for the last last few laps. Um, and you know with Bulaga, who's really great at race management, really great at qualifying, um, and is good on Sunday too. I think that you know as far as a Sunday is concerned, I think Manzi has the edge over Bulaga. But as far as the whole the total weekend goes, um, and I say Sunday as as like race day, and you know I know these guys race on on Saturday and Sunday, but you know what I mean. On race days, uh, I think that Manzi has the, the edge, but Buluga is kind of the weekend total package where he can he can work through practice and qualifying and the race and be effective and more consistent throughout the whole weekend. So I think that Manzi needs to unlock that a little bit um, with that Tenkata team, but I'm excited about this championship. Like you said, you know, he called out Marcel Schroeder. Marcel Schroeder's doing well this year. Um, I'm excited to see an MV Augusta consistently at the front, um, in addition to seeing, you know, the Ducati and the Yamaha that we're used to seeing now for a bit. Uh, um, yeah, I, 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 I'm excited about this, the Supersport Championship. It's always fun to watch those. It's always great racing. Well, my next question is, do you think, in terms of, do you think that we will really see this R6 be competitive for much longer? Well, I think it depends on how the rule they want to to push the class. Uh, you know, obviously they've created rules that have and and technical regulations and limitations to these other bikes um, that allow the R6 to still be competitive. Um, so if they but, re- if they release some of those restrictions, then the R6 is no longer competitive. Well, I don't probably. think that's a question there. Yeah, I mean, just on yeah. power alone, you, you know, I mean, torque yeah. delivery for the V2 out of a corner is probably going to be absolutely superior to the uh, to the Yamaha. Um, Any of them, the V MV yeah, Agusta the, is better. The, so I mean, uh, Triumph, all of them. I, I'm actually surprised that the 
that Nikki Tooley is not doing uh, better on the tr- on the uh, the street triple. I think that you know we saw Manzi won a race on the street on the uh, street triple on the on the Triumph last year. Uh, we know it's a strong bike; it has a lot of potential. Uh, the uh, the F3 from MB Augusta is you know obviously a fantastic bike, uh, and we know what the what the uh, uh, what the Ducati can do. Again, we're in the same conversation again that um, who are who are the struggling manufacturers um, a, in World Supersport? They're Japanese manufacturers, and uh, you know you could say, well, you know, Manzi won; he's on an R6. Okay, you know, fair enough. But let's talk about those rules restrictions. That's when we have to really start to look at well, we've neutered the other bikes enough to we've kept the R6 relevant. Um, and, and to be honest with you, an R6, um, it, it's it's not a cheap bike to race anymore. Uh, you know, no, I think that you would talk to uh, you know, not not saying that racing's cheap at all, but I think you know you were talking to uh, uh, Moto America uh, last year. Uh, whenever they adopted these new super, this next gen super sport class, and yep. what you have to do to the Yamaha to make it fast now to be competitive against these bikes, um, it it's first of all it's really expensive to do so, and then secondly, what are you actually doing to the in the uh, efficiency of that engine and the longevity of that engine um, to make that yep. kind of power? One hundred percent. Yeah, I know. So I, I personally think that it's all up. The FIM holds the. Um, the FIM really holds the cards. I think almost when it comes to influencing how manufacturers do develop bikes. Um, if Yamaha wants to compete, I think what Yamaha. I think right now what Yamaha would need to consider is to create a. Um, is to adapt the. Uh, MT-07 into, no, excuse me, the MT-09 into a package that could be part of the next gen. I think that wow. would be their easiest way um, to find a way in. But I, I mean, I think a triple, uh, I think a triple engine is the, is, is possibly where it needs to go for Yamaha and really? possibly, you know, Kawasaki. I mean, I don't, we'll see. We'll see what this new updated ZX-6R can do next year though. I think they that's uh, they updated it so it would fit in the next gen uh, for uh, World Supersport, correct? Well, I yes. So that's the thing. So that I was started thinking about that at the end of this this year because of you know I'm I'm just thinking about all this stuff like every year that bike gets another year where it can't be really developed. Yeah. You know, there's no updates coming. It is what it is. And it was a tremendous, tremendous package. It was just, what, two years ago or even maybe even last year we were talking about the Yamaha World Super Sport Cup. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it was everybody was on it. But now less and less people are, are, are on it. And that's probably because, uh, you know, they it just didn't happen. Well, yeah, and, and you know, and to be fair, we say that, but you know, from thirteenth all the way to the back of the grid, it's just it's riddled with R sixes, right? I mean, the majority of the bikes easily are all people are all on R sixes, but um, you know, like we're saying, <laughs> Yamaha's not going to be content to just be thirteenth or worse. You know, they well, you hope not. You, yeah, but again, it goes back to the how they want to allocate money yeah and and develop it and really change and adapt as time goes on 
Well, I mean, but you have to look at there's another manufacturer out there that isn't even in the World Supersport uh category, which is Suzuki. Right. And, you know, no one is running a Suzuki. That's super telling to me, right? Like no yeah. one's running a Suzuki at all. And yet in America, on Moto America grid, I think we've got at least five 750s on the grid. And I wonder why that is. Why does the World Supersport community say no thank you to a Suzuki, but they want a they want a Triumph or an MB Agusta or things that you would think would be a lot more expensive, Ducati. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, why why wouldn't they want the Suzuki at all? I think factory support's a big uh, a big component there. Personally. Is there factory support in Moto America for it? I don't know, but uh, Suzuki's are. I don't want to. Are they cheaper to run? If you went and bought a seven fifty, is it going to be a cheaper motorcycle to race? Then an MV Agusta? Yes. Well, yeah. No, no, I mean that. Then a then Ducati? No. Yeah. Well, we're talking about at Moto America level. I'm saying, okay, oh, Moto America? World Super, yeah. yeah, World Supersport. That's why well, I that's think true. that the riders don't pick it at the world level is there's no factory support. There's no... And it may just not be that good of a bike. Because there's, no, there's even no GSX-R 1000s in Superbike. In the Europe, there's not, right? Because they didn't meet their emission standards. So maybe they can't run them. But I don't, I don't know. It's just interesting that we have a lot of people running Suzuki here in the U.S., both Superbike, Superstock, Supersport. Yeah. But over there, nothing. And it, for me, it's because of money. They're, it's much cheaper to buy a Suzuki and do it yourself here, which is what we are. Mm-hmm. We're, you know, we're do-it-yourselfers than it is to, you know, go over there and that it is over there. And plus, to the point of they don't have the production numbers they need probably, right? So, I mean... It is. It's just interesting. Like I, I, I see. I every. I think that every time I look at that grid, lots of Yamahas still out there, but in the, in the superbike class, there are one, two, three. We have three superbikes that are Suzukis, and well, four, but a lot of them are super stock guys that you know didn't run. But we have that Vision Wheel. Suzuki team with Escalante and the recently retired Tony Elias, which we mm-hmm. didn't touch on, which we need to. Um, but anyway, it's just an interesting question, and I, it's always a thought exercise for me as I'm queuing well, up the Super Sport and Superbike. Doesn't Chris World Ulrich? Superbike. Doesn't Chris Ulrich own the Vision Wheel team? Uh, yes, he and his father. I, Ulrich, Chris Ulrich yeah. was a big. Uh, he was always a big Suzuki guy, wasn't he? Yeah, I, when he was racing. Yeah. Yeah, I believe he was, and but I, I thought he also raced a KTM when he raced. Mm. Um, but back in the day when it was AMA still. Right, right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, maybe he's just got some loyalty to Suzuki. He understands the bike. He knows it. But in the end, they aren't winning anything. Right. Um, but... Let's uh, before we get it done today. Unless you got something else you want to talk about, World Superbike, World Supersport. Hmm, no. Let's talk about the retirement of Tony Elias. 
best result of the year, getting much better as the year goes on, and he's like, eh, that's enough. <laughs> yeah. But what he said was, is he felt himself not loving the racing. And and I think he did the right thing. If you're, feel, if you're not feeling like it's what you want to do and you're not 100% committed, this is not the sport to be 50% committed. And uh, I guess I... I I question it a little, but I also tip my hat to him and say, good on you for recognizing that your head wasn't in the right space and uh, it was time to go. And I I think Tony is probably very happy with what he's accomplished in his career. Um, and he, he's over 40 years old now. He, he's had enough. Yeah, what are your I mean, thoughts? No, you can't blame him. I can't blame him. He's had a, he's had a good career. He, you know, I mean... You know, raced at the MotoGP level. He's done everything. He's been around the world. He's he. I think he really helped to. Uh, I don't want to say re- res- resurrect and save Moto America, um, but I know that he was one of the uh, he the battles between he and Cambobier were absolutely um, some of the most exciting ones that you know that we got to watch for a long time, um, and and Bobby Fong as well. So I, I think that you know Tony and even when he came in. After he retired uh, for the the short stint of the first retirement, I guess when he stepped away from uh, when Yoshimir pulled out, uh, he brought in uh, the his clo- uh, the clothing brand, I believe, um, the Honos brand, I think is what it was, um, yeah, and, and helped to you know kind of really sponsor that and kind of keep pushing Moto America. So I think that that influx was really good for Moto America, and and, and you know thank him for that, and I, I just I. I I don't know. I, I cur- I'm curious to know that if Moto America was able to turn a corner operationally and really drive a solid quality championship that's on par with world class championship, um, if he would, you know, if he would have stayed, if if the story would have been a little bit different and he would have stayed a little bit longer and possibly even had a, uh, had a few more championships in Moto America. So it's it, it's. It's one of those things, you know. I'm sure that he's still going to be around the world and around the community, and and I would love to see Tony Elias kind of step into a uh, a management role, possibly with Moto America, to or an advisory role, possibly to kind of help steer that organization into one that can can be a world class competition um, and and an easier transition for riders to go from uh, you know grassroots to homegrown. Yeah, I mean, I think so, I, but you know, he he definitely has contributed a lot over here to the Moto America scene. You know, he won MotoGP races. He raced against some of the, in my opinion, the greatest rider to ever do it. He, you know, he was he was there, so he's done it all. And you know, you you have to tip your cap to a guy that's had a career like that. Mm-hmm. He's won uh, Moto. He was the first Moto Two World Champion. Uh, so, I think when he looks back on his racing career, he's got to smile and say, "Wow, that was that was a pretty good run." Yeah. Uh, and I I think uh, good for him. And and I I'm excited for you know uh, who they find to ride for him. I I don't know who they'll they'll put throw in there, but we'll see and. It'll be it'll be interesting, but it's sad to lose a guy like that. But also, everybody everybody retires at some point. 
whether they were forced to because nobody wanted to hire them or because they wanted to because they didn't feel like they wanted to do it anymore. And uh, I wish him nothing but the best. And uh, hopefully he'll stay around the paddock, to your point about the Honos Clothing brand. Hopefully he'll stay around the paddock and, and, and influence and teach and help instruct younger riders and guide them. Guys like Tyler Scott, if we can ever get, you know, uh, Rocco Landers back. Uh, yeah. Maybe guys like that help them put them on a path for, you know, success in in motorcycle racing on the world stage. That would be tremendous. Um, but that's really all I have for the racing and all the talking points for the last couple of weeks. But there's some exciting news on your front. Looks like you might be becoming an owner of a Daytona six seven five. Possibly, yes. Um, still waiting. Are you excited about that? I am. I, I am. You know, I, I, <laughs> my, uh, I had a street, a 2014 street triple. That was one of my favorite. That was the favorite motorcycle I've owned. Um, not owned a lot over the years, but I've owned a few, and that was the one that, um, when I sold it, it was hard to sell it, and I, I do miss it, and I, I regret selling that bike. Um, and you know the opportunity came up you know i've talked to you uh offline a few times hey i'm not sure if i really want to get back on a 1000 um and uh you know i finally just made the decision i said you know what i'm going to gonna gonna really put it up for sale um which you helped to broker that deal (laughs) um and uh you know i was on vacation and um was sitting just kind of perusing through a uh, cycle trader in the uh, house that we were at and that we were renting. And, uh, I was looking at ZX sixes and I was like, well, you know, that's kind of the obvious choice that I should go with. I'm, I'm a bigger guy. I should get on a six, three, six. Um, it's affordable, you know, this dealership has one. And then, um, and I looked uh, you know, there's always that I really, really wanted a, a Moto two edition seven, six, five Daytona. Um, so I looked for that and then I, I texted you. I said, there's no way I'm overpaying, you know, for what people are asking for those bikes at this point. Um, and then found a really low miles, um, 2017 Daytona, uh, been in, in pretty good communication with the guy that owns it. And I think that we're uh, pretty close to making a deal. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I'm excited to get a hold of it. Um, and then the process will all start over again. You know, it's all the order and fairings and painting and all that other fun stuff and making sure the bike's right and, and then well, are you gonna paint it um i don't know probably apparently not because i was uh, uh i was accosted for my body work techniques and skill level Whoa. which i completely admit um that is not my not my for, forte well I, I have my own struggles with it but what i would say is that this bike better have parked and turn one decals on it this will we will get a hold of our uh, we'll get a hold of our our good buddy Justin um, at uh, is Motographic still his business name? No, he's Mo- got a new name now. I don't know yeah. what it is, but we'll, we our know buddy, his number. So. Our, our, buddy, our Justin buddy Justin at Not Motographics. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll get him to yeah. uh, print us up some nice um, custom vinyls that will make the make the bike faster and and prettier. Oh, wait, so. of course it'll make so. it faster. Of course it will. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But no, I'm right. excited. Well, yeah, I'm excited. I, I, you should be. I, I'm, I'm excited for you to actually get back on track. I think you and I had also touched on um, trying to do one long drive track day a year, like trying to go to a new track, just experience stuff, right? Like mm-hmm. just to be yeah. a part of that and get into it. Um, and I think I think that's something we should really work on and we could 
make that part of what we talk about, you know, going around the country, meeting new people, seeing new tracks, trying new stuff. I, I really want to ride this Road America track. Seems like a lot of time to sit straight up and down on the bike. Yeah, I like, mean, I can understand why we would have a baggers championship at Road America because it's just like most people on baggers anyway. They never turn the bike, and, you know, it's... <laughs> Oh my gosh, this guy's so angry about baggers. I'm not, you're not alone. You're not alone. You know, I, but, I, did, I do want to call out, you know, the Isle of Man, we haven't really touched on a lot of stuff at Isle of Man um, yet yeah, at, at all, yeah, really. Yeah, we should. But, um, you know, Isle of Man's been going on uh, this week, and it began all practice and qualifying started last week, and this is the uh, the week for racing. Um, I'll say Michael Dunlop is probably the uh, the guy that's been the most successful all weekend long or all week long. Um, it's already gotten a few wins uh, across multiple different categories. I think he's got two super sport wins. He's got a, a, a super bike win and then maybe a super stock win as well, I think. Um, but, uh, you know, the Isle of Man, if you're, not, if you're not familiar with it, if you've never seen Irish road racing, um, this is, it's serious. I mean, this is, it's an amazing, amazing event, and it's probably the most dangerous event. And with that, um, you know, uh, normally the TT will claim, you know, multiple lives throughout the week uh, and throughout the year on that course. And this year is no exception, unfortunately. Um, just a day ago, uh, Raul uh, Torres Martinez um, passed away on June 6th. Uh, at Alpine College, he was ra- or, excuse me, uh, Alpine Cottage. He was uh, racing in the uh, Super Twin Series on an, R- an Aprilia RS660. Uh, I think it was on the final lap, actually. And uh, he's 46 years old, so um, it, you know it's just part of this race. Is as this race is such a unforgiving um, environment, and at at completely unfor- unfor- unforgiving speeds. I believe the CBR 1000 RRR was clocked at Sulby Strait um, at 200 miles an hour, um, which is, you know, that, that's that's insane. Um, it is insane. <laughs> uh, and, and literally there's no difference of, you know, going a legitimate 200 miles an hour on a street is, what, is what's happening at that moment. It's not a racetrack. It's not a controlled environment. It is a street. Um, so, yes. But yeah, no, I just wanted to touch base quick on, uh, you know, the, the TT and, and to me, that's kind of like, that's a destination that I want to go. I would love to, uh, to actually ride that course. Um, just to say that I've been around that mountain, you know, 60 kilometers and, um, would love to, to, to that, to be one of those things that I do before I really hang everything up. Yeah, I, I, that's one of those things where I would love to, uh, to see that in person, right? Like yeah, to, yeah. to to stand by the road and watch those guys go by and scare the ever living crap out of myself. <laughs> like just, oh my god, um, it is something that it's it's crazy, it's mental, it's also cool, you know. And uh, I hope they don't take it away from those guys. I know, you know, unfortunately with the passing this year of that writer, I I, I know that people die, but. People also love it, and no one goes into that race thinking there's no danger. Right. They know right. it. It is not surprising to them. So sometimes we just got to let people be alive and let them do what they want. Yep. Um, you know, I think Michael Dunlop now is only three wins behind oh, he's, his— He's one. One uncle. win. One win. One win. Yeah, one win from one tying. Win. Yep. From his Uncle Joey, right? Yep. And— uh 
I, I think that would be unbelievable because I don't think anybody thought that would ever come down. But yeah, I mean, and I don't, I certainly didn't think it was Michael that would that would die. It to be honest with you, you know, his uh, younger brother. I think I think well, I think William might have been the older brother, but his brother died a couple of years ago. Uh, I think in the Southern 100. Um, I might have, might have had a different race, uh, but you know, uh, Joey uh, passed away years some years ago in Astoria. I think it was he, where he was racing. Uh, Robert Dunlop died in 2012 at the Northwest 200 uh, when his bike locked up, um, just the engine locked up at um, on one of the uh, Triangle Straits and uh, just a, a nightmare crash that was actually caught on a helicopter cam. And then, um, uh, yeah, I think Michael Dunlop is the only one left that's still racing. And you know, he had, uh, I don't know if he had any wins last year at the TT, and but I, I was expecting a little bit more out of him. But this year he has come out swinging. And, um, I, I mean, it's it's been an impressive just to see the results come through. So hopefully he can, you know, if he's got another race scheduled for the rest of the week and get one more in, uh, I think it's a senior TT. Um, and it, it, I think the one to tie Joey, he would probably want to be the Superbike class. So we'll see. Um, we'll see what happens. Absolutely. Well, I wish him the best of luck. Stay safe out there, man. But yeah. uh, I think that'll about do it for us today, Bo. What do you think? Yeah, man. It was a long one. Got us caught up, I think. So we have Ms. Uh, Mijello this weekend. Uh, oh, my we, God. We're going to see um, Enea Bastianini come back. Uh, yeah. So I'm excited to see that. I'm yeah. hoping it's that. A, it's, it'll be nice to see him back. I, yeah. I think that's good for Ducati. I think they need him back. And uh, it'll be good. And uh, I'm excited. It should be a good weekend of racing. Absolutely, man. But, uh, yeah, for all you guys that are out there, you're riding this weekend on your own, riding on the street. Hey, as always, please stay safe out there. Keep that shiny side up, that rubber side down. I'm Jason, a.k.a. Captain Novice, saying goodbye. We'll see you next week after Mugello. Have a good one, guys. <laughs>